All right. Well, what an incredible story, huh? What an incredible account. I mean, th- this is uh, the story, essentially, of Jesus' kingly coronation as he rides into Jerusalem, which really marked the final week of Jesus' life. But, but as we get into this passage today, I, w- I want you to see something that's very, very important. Of course, the king was in town, but Jesus wasn't just any king. How many of y'all know he was the king of kings and the Lord of all lords? The, the ruler of the kings of the earth was coming in to Jerusalem. Now, as we see here in this passage, many recognize that he was the Messiah, the deliverer. Okay, we're going to get to that in just a second. But here's what I want you to see at the outset. If the king is in town, if the true king, not just of the earth, but of heaven and everything in the earth, if the king is in town, how many of y'all know the king can do whatever he wants? The king can take over any kingdom that he wants. And from a natural perspective, Jesus could have, check this out, if he wanted to, he could have written into Jerusalem and then made his way to Rome, not on a donkey, but he could have chosen a black stallion. Think about this. He could have chosen a war horse to ride upon, to, to ride into Rome, to displace the emperor, and to take his rightful place on the throne. How many of y'all know he had that right? How many of y'all know Jesus could have done that if he wished? Jesus could have come in with an entourage, a heavenly entourage of angels. He could have had an entire army. He could have ridden in, and at once he could have overthrown the Romans and set the Jewish people free. How many of y'all know he had that right? But instead, what we see in this passage is that Jesus, he didn't choose the war horse. What did he choose? What did he choose? The donkey, and the donkey's what? Colt. He chose a donkey. I mean, you're talking about, for, for, for many people, not those in the crowd here, but for many people looking in, I mean, talking about anticlimactic. I mean, if, if the true king of the universe is in town, you would think it, that, that he would have chosen a different method as he rode in. But he, he didn't choose the war horse. He didn't choose military might. He chose what? A donkey. A donkey's colt. He tells his disciples, go fetch, go fetch the donkey or colt. Bring them to me. And we see here in this passage, Jesus mounts the donkey's colt. He rides in to Jerusalem, which again, this basically secures his death. This ensures that Jesus is going to be eventually placed upon the cross. How many of y'all know Good Friday's coming for us? I mean, y'all know we call it Good Friday, but it wasn't so good for Jesus. It was very bad for Jesus, but his death means our life. And so how many of y'all know death died in the death of Jesus? And he came for that purpose, to get up on that cross, to die for your sins, and then to be raised back to life. Come on, how many of y'all know the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you, lives in me. Because of his death, we're free. Because of his life, we're free. Because of Jesus. Come on, y'all. We are raised as the sons and the daughters of God. And so he, he, he rides in, not on a war horse, but on a donkey. And his aim was to go through this week to get to the cross and then finally be raised to life. Those were his ambitions. But you have to ask the question, 
I get that, Pastor Scott, but okay, why did Jesus choose to ride a donkey's colt? <laughs> of all the vehicles, so to speak. <laughs> you know, he chose a 1998 Honda Accord. <laughs> Come on, he could have he could have ridden in on anything, you know, in contemporary terms. A limousine, you know, limousine tanks, you know, however he cho- he wanted to, he could have done that. But the question is why, why? Why the donkey's cold? Well, if you're taking notes, first of all, number one, write this down. First of all, to fulfill prophecy. Everybody say prophecy. To fulfill the word of God. He came to fulfill what had been written about him hundreds of years ago. And by the way, basically the whole Old Testament is about Jesus. You don't see Jesus Christ spelled out on the pages of the Old Testament but from Psalm 22 to Isaiah 53 to the book of Zechariah, I mean, I can go back as early as Genesis 3. I mean, the, the prophecies are, are, are endless in the Old Testament. All those words that pointed forward, that pushed the audience forward to expect His coming, Jesus coming in the earth. But here, just for, uh, for our purposes, for the sake of time, let me just highlight this one passage. In Zechariah 9.9, hundreds of years in the, before this time, here's what the Bible says. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. The Bible says this. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble. Everybody say humble. Humble and mounted on a... <laughs> it says here, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, this was... The messianic promise. And so, I guess in one sense, you would expect Jesus to come in on a war horse to do what I've described. But here, Jesus is just being obedient to fulfill the scriptures. Instead of the war horse, he comes in on the donkey's colt. And he did so, number two, to symbolize, write this down, to symbolize the nature of his ministry. You say, Pastor Scott, what do you mean by that? How many of y'all know Jesus was a meek and a humble Messiah who came to bring peace to his people? But how many of y'all know the peace that we experience came at a great price? It came at a great price that Jesus had to suffer a very violent death On the cross, he had to suffer violence for you so that you could have peace today with God. 2,000 years ago, the wrath of God was poured out on Christ. The wrath of God was poured out through the Romans, through the nails. All of that was poured out on Christ. God's judgment was poured out on Jesus so that God's judgment wouldn't be poured out on you. Did you get that? God treated Jesus as though Jesus were sin. Although he had never sinned, your sin goes to Jesus. And guess what? Your righteousness when you believe is, well, his righteousness rather is given to you when you believe. Your sin to him, his righteousness to you. And therefore we stand forgiven today, but not just forgiven, righteous in God's sight. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter how many times you've blown it, Jesus makes you righteous. And Jesus came. Come on, y'all, give him some praise today. He makes you righteous. He gives you a brand new start. But he did so in his meek and humble ministry. He came to bring peace. And so here's kind of the word picture. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world came riding in on a donkey. The Lamb was mounted on the donkey. And Jesus was meek 
and he was humble as the lamb mounted on the donkey who is then ushered in in this final week to be slaughtered on the cross so that you and I could be forgiven today. Come on, y'all. Only God could think of that. Come on. The greatest of all time. Who's the goat? How many of y'all know the goat is the lamb? <laughs> the goat. Everybody say it with me. The goat is the lamb. Jesus is the greatest of all time. That's it, isn't it? Isn't that who he is? The greatest of all time. He's the goat. The goat is the lamb. But here he wrote in in this way to symbolize the, the nature of his ministry. That, of course, he's the lion and Jesus is ferocious in judgment when he comes. But that isn't the first coming. He came meek and mild and humble. He's going to come again as the lion to judge. But how many of y'all know the first time? The emphasis is upon him being the suffering servant, the lamb. Meek, humble, lowly in heart to bring peace to the world. That is to those who would believe. But from an external perspective, not everybody was impressed. Now the crowd, they were. Because they shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, deliverer. They, they were, in a sense, impressed. I'm going to come back to that in just a second. But if you just look at this, like through our eyes, I mean, riding it on a donkey isn't very, well, it's not very spectacular, is it? Not very glamorous, is it? But check this out. Jesus didn't come to impress the world by its standards. Jesus came to save the world. He didn't come to impress, but to bless. And how many of y'all know, he knows the way to bless the world. It's through his sacrificial death, which there's nothing glamorous about being hanged on a cross, dying, bleeding all alone. Is there? But how many of y'all know, God had something incredible in mind when he sent his son, Jesus, to this earth to die in and on your behalf. It looked like Jesus was defeated on the cross but his defeat meant your victory. Yes. Satan thought he won, but Satan was just carrying out the plan of God. Because, come on, the devil, we can say it this way, the devil meant his death for evil. But God meant it for good. Come on, y'all. Meant it. He meant it for good. But how many of y'all know Jesus is not, he is not the king of bling. He's the king of kings. How many of y'all know he left his place so we can have peace? He came to die so you can live. He came from heaven to save you from hell. Come on, y'all. Give him some praise. There's nobody like him. Nobody like him. But Matthew tells us that, check this out, check out the wording. Most of the crowd laid their cloaks on the road. They laid their cloaks on the road. What, what did that symbolize? That symbolized submission to the king. For those who laid their cloaks down, that was basically a way of saying, you can rule over us. This was, in a sense, them rolling out the red carpet for the king, saying, you're the king, you're the Messiah, you're the deliverer, you can rule over us. But they not only laid down their cloaks, the Bible says others laid what down? What? Palm branches, right? You get, all, you get this full picture from reading all the Gospels, but they, they laid down Palm branches, which, watch this, if you're taking, taking notes, write this down. Palm branches, which symbolized Jewish nationalism and Jewish victory over their enemies. Now, here's what I want you to think. What kind of victory, Pastor Scott? Political victory. Military 
victory. They're thinking at the national level, oh, here comes our king. We've been subjugated by the Romans. We've been under their rule and their authority. Oh, Zechariah says our king's going to come on a donkey. The Bible predicts that the deliverer is going to come. Here he is riding into town and they recognize Jesus as the fulfillment of scripture and they gave Jesus praise for that. Are y'all with me? Laying down their cloaks, laying down their palm branches, spreading out the red carpet, making room in a way for the king to come in to Jerusalem. Because you see, hundreds of years before, Solomon rode in on David's mule. But now, check this out, someone greater than Solomon has come. How many of y'all know Solomon was incredible? It says of the queen of Sheba that when she saw Solomon's wisdom, there was no more breath in her. Well, how, how many of y'all know Someone greater than Solomon is here, and his name is Jesus. And when you understand who he is, his great name and his great worth, who he is as your deliverer, as your Messiah, as your king, and as your God, when you get that revelation, God will take your breath away. Come on, have you ever had your breath taken away? Come on, husbands, you better say yes. The first time you saw your wife. Come on, uh, Stephen and Corey, stand up. We got newlyweds up in the house. He saw her and his breath, it's true, was taken away. Isn't that true? Yeah, it's true, it's true. Well, I saw Kelly at that conference, and I thought to myself, how do I describe the event of seeing her for the first time? The Lord is my shepherd, I see what I want. Are y'all with me? It was, there was no more breath in me. That's true at this level. That was true for the king of Sheba when she looked at Solomon. Someone greater than Solomon has come. There should be no breath in us when we see him for who he is. Come on, y'all. He takes our breath away because he's not just some military Messiah. No, he's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords, the very great I am. And so I'm trying. And so watch this. And the crowds that went before him, Matthew 21, 9, and that followed him were shouting this. What does it say? Hosanna. Say it with me. Hosanna to the son of whom? They're expecting a Davidic king, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and Hosanna means save now. Save now. And it's like uh, someone just said, uh, said you know, I'm, I'm preaching this and I get, I get feedback right then I'm there on the spot. Listen, when, when Jesus showed up, I mean, there was like immediate feedback to who he was. They're like, yes, Hosanna, but, but Hosanna, save now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They, they shout, thus fulfilling Psalm 118, verse 26. Look it up in your own Bible. It's right there in the Psalms hundreds of years before, now on the lips of these people as they recognize their deliverer right in front of them. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Here it is one more time. Hosanna in the, in the highest. Now check this out. Can I teach y'all for just a minute? Say yes. I'm going to do it anyway. Check this out. Let me give you context, all right? They praised Jesus. I've said that. They praised him as the one who would deliver them. But, well... Jesus was not ultimately the kind of deliverer that they had anticipated. Well, they praised him because, check this out, 
It was Passover time. Everybody say Passover. And the Jews were thinking back hundreds and hundreds of years in the past. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years in their past. Thinking back to how God had emancipated their ancestors from Egyptian captivity. Y'all remember that? You read Exodus? You seen the Prince of Egypt? Okay. They're thinking God delivered our ancestors from captivity. And they're thinking, you know, it's Passover. God delivered us. God judged the Egyptians. They're thinking, oh, the blood, the blood of the lamb applied to the doorpost and the lintel. They're thinking about the angel of death. God is passing over in mercy instead of passing through in judgment. They're thinking, they're thinking about Moses, who was their great and mighty what? Deliverer, right? They're thinking this way. If you're a Jew, first century, and here comes Jesus fulfilling Zechariah, you're thinking that way. You're thinking it's Passover. You're thinking liberation. Question, who did God deliver the Israelites from? I just said it. The Egyptians. Well, now, fast forward into Jesus' day. They're expecting a Davidic-like king who's going to come and liberate them, not from the Egyptians, of course, but from whom? The Romans. So they're expecting a deliverer, and they're fired up about the fact that this deliverer was right in front of them. But unfortunately, Jesus was not the kind that they had anticipated. Why? Because Jesus did not come to deliver the Jews from the Romans. Jesus came to deliver the Jews and the Gentiles from the consequences of sin. You see that? Yes, they were in a sense subjugated, if you want to say it's a little extreme to say in bondage, okay? They were under the authority of the Romans. And so they're expecting, well, free us from them. And Jesus is like, I didn't come to do that. I, I, I didn't come to free you physically. I came to free you spiritually. I came to set you free from the law of sin and death. And how many of y'all know, he who the Son sets free can be free indeed. Even if you're in prison. We know people who are in prison, who are behind bars, but because they met Jesus to this day are free. And not just free, but free indeed. Because although they committed a crime, they've confessed Jesus as their Lord, and today, no matter what they've done, in prison, they are free, they're new creations, and they're free indeed, just like you. Come on, y'all, we are freed. You say, I'm fearful that America is going to be subjugated by a foreign nation, anything's possible. And we should be concerned about that to an extent, but forget that, listen to me. It doesn't matter where you live, when you live, under whom you live. It doesn't matter because when Jesus sets you free, he who the Son sets free, come on, y'all, can be, shall be, will be free indeed. Free to what? Serve God. Free to love God. Free to advance the kingdom. And it doesn't matter what government stands in your way. Come on, y'all. We might be chained, but God's word will never be chained. Y'all better help me today. I'm preaching good. Come on. God's word will never be chained or stopped. So I had to get that off my chest. <laughs> They're expecting one thing, but they got something else. I mean, just imagine this. They're expecting military might, political power. They're expecting a Messiah to come and sit on a golden throne. Instead, they get a deliverer 
who was placed on a wooden cross. Think about that for a second. And it's easy to fault them. It's like, what's up with y'all? Can't y'all see what Jesus came to do? Yeah, it's easy for us to say, this side of the cross, where we are in history with all the books that have been written and the messages that have been preached. But how many of y'all know we, we, we could have been guilty of doing the same thing that they did? Seeing only in part and not the whole. But here's the, here's the truth. They, they wanted a deliverer. And yeah, in a sense, yeah, they, they, they got one. They didn't recognize him for his worth. But instead they got a deliverer who was delivered over <laughs> to death. Uh, the one whom they thought would defeat their enemies ended up being defeated on the cross through their eyes. But as mentioned earlier, there was a lot more to Jesus than what met the eye. They saw him in part, but there was way more to him than they even realized. Because you see, Jesus didn't come to take a golden throne, to sit on a golden throne. He was lifted up on a wooden cross where he liberated true liberating power, true Devil and death-defeating power flows from the cross of Jesus Christ. Listen to me. Death died in the death of Jesus. He put your death to death. But I get it. They wanted freedom. They got it. At least it was purchased for them. But many, think of this, many rejected him because Jesus just didn't fit the profile. Think about this. Stated simply, they missed God. God was in town and they missed the reason for which Jesus was sent. How many of y'all know we can miss God? You can miss God. Because lessons from Palm Sunday include these, number one. Think about this for a second. We can learn from their mistakes. We must accept Jesus for who he is, not on the basis of who we want him to be. How many of y'all know we can create gods after our own desires? Come on, he's just a genie in the bottle. We got to rub him the right way. Am I hurting you on that one? So, God, you're this way because this is the way I think you should be. Job 38. Job, where were you when I created the foundation of the earth? Where were you? Did I consult you? Let me ask you all a question. Did God consult any of y'all when he spoke the world into existence? It's a silly question. He doesn't consult us. He doesn't even need us. He loves us, but you are a man, you are a woman. He is the eternal God. And aren't you glad that he's sovereign and he's in control, not you. But, but listen, in American Christianity, oh, we love Jesus as long as, well, Jesus lines up with what we want him to be and wish him to be. But the moment the word of God speaks, oh, I don't know, my God would never do that. But you're, you're God, the God you say you serve in the word says he did that. 
And how many of y'all know everything he does is good? It might not look good at first, but when you step back and you know that he, he cannot lie, he cannot sin, he is constantly working for our good. How many of you know it's an easy thing to trust him and to put your life to his purposes and his plans because you know they're always good? Come on, they're always good. Your ways, my ways, what depends on what day you ask. But his ways are always good. So the crowd, they wanted a political Messiah, a a military Messiah. That was their expectations, but that's not what they got. They knew that Jesus was the Messiah. They just just didn't understand what kind of Messiah he was. They understood that he was the king. They just didn't, they, they, they didn't understand what kind of king he was. But check this out. Jesus disappointed many people then. And he continues to disappoint many people today. Why? Because we have expectations that Jesus didn't come to meet. Let that sit right there for just a second. I'm disappointed with him. Well, maybe you have an expectation of him that he didn't come to meet. So what do you mean by that, Pastor Scott? Well, I thought because I'm a Christian that everything in my life is going to be blessed and good. Well, it depends on how you define blessed. Peter says when you're, when you're persecuted, you should rejoice. <laughs> but it's how we interpret our circumstances. Sometimes what we call good isn't what God calls good. Sometimes we're, there's a disjunction there. Pascal, I, th- I thought, I thought, I thought it was going to be this way, but it's turned out this way. I thought that if I just tithed, the guy on TV said I'd be rich. The man on TV said that the Lord is going to open up the windows of heaven and pour forth such a blessing that you can't contain it. That's around midnight. Now, make no mistake, you sow generously, you're going to reap generously. But you can't put that all just to money. Okay? How many of you know, if you tithe and you're faithful to the Lord, he's going to be, he is going to be faithful to you. And listen, the Lord is going to take care of you. And he's going to meet not your every want, but your every Mm-hmm. I thought everything in my life was going to turn around. I hope it does. I don't wish that, you know... You're stuck in like a perpetual nightmare of life that your kids are crazy and you're, you know, you have marital, you know, not bliss, but blizzards. And, you know, I, 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 want, I want you to be blessed. But isn't our reality some, sometimes different? Isn't it sometimes, it's sometimes incongruent with, with the expectations we have? And so here's the way I like to say it. God, God never said that everything in your life would be good. He never said that. What he did say was that all things will work together for your good if you love God and have been called according to his purposes. Are you all with me? It doesn't mean that everything in your life day to day is going to be good. It's good. It's good. It's good. The way we perceive it from the way God perceives it. No, the good, the bad, the ugly, all of it is working for your ultimate good if you love him and if you've been called according to his purposes. Are you all tracking? Are y'all mad at me? Listen to me. Number two, 
God never said that he will give you everything you want. He said that he will give you everything you need. And maybe if you don't have it, it's because you don't need it. Just a suggestion. God never said that he would give you an easy life. He never said that. What he said was, he will give you eternal life if you believe in him and trust him with your life. And though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, though you suffer greatly in this life. Oh, they're just momentary light afflictions. They're achieving for you an eternal weight of glory that far surpasses anything you will experience in this life. Boy, y'all better help me a little bit more because you know that's true. Your troubles and your afflictions are working in you to produce something good. And if it's not good yet, it's because God's not finished yet. God never said that he would never let you down. He never said that. In the song, you're never going to let us take that out. I like the song. I don't like that part. Because I prayed before, and God didn't give me what I prayed for. Anybody else? Raise your hand if you prayed and God lets you down. Let's just be honest. Lord, I need to hang out with y'all. Y'all get everything you asked for. The ones who didn't have their... Raise your hand if God's ever let you down. Just be honest. Okay, yeah. You're never going to let... You're never going to let... Aren't you glad I'm not the worship leader again? God has let me down many times. But see, maturity recognizes that if God didn't give it to me, it means that he's got something better for me down the road. It means that there might be something wrong in my asking. It means that I've got to get in the word and pray the word. And if I pray the word, I pray his will. And then if it hasn't happened, it's because it's a timing issue. And so if he hasn't blessed you yet or come through just yet, hang on because he will if you pray according to his word, according to his promises, not based on your presumption. Do you understand the difference? He never says here, in the scriptures that he will never let you down. What he says is he will never let you go. That he will hold you. He will preserve you. He left heaven to come to the earth for you. And so the lesson is that we need to get in alignment with God instead of expecting God to get in alignment with us. Preach that. The American version of Christianity is, Lord, I need you to conform. I need you to meet my needs. And he, he does want and will. He wants to meet your needs, and he will meet your needs. But see, historic Christianity is not, God, come wrap around me and my desires. It's, let us as a church wrap around him. Let's lay our cloaks down and our palm branches down. And let's make room for the king to set up residence in our hearts and say, thy will be done. Let's move that way. Y'all want to move that way? If we move that way, we'll be blessed in the way God defines the blessing. And so number two, let me give you this and we're going to land the plane. What are y'all laughing at? That means it's another 45 minutes. That's not what it means today. Check it out. Check it out. If you're taking notes, write this down. The very, look, look at this. The very last place you would think to look for God is often the very place where he chooses to reveal himself. So... Jesus came not on a war horse, but on a donkey's colt. Not to sit on a golden throne, but to hang on a wooden cross. Not to dine exclusively with the rich and the righteous, but to deliver the sick and the sinful. But the religious people are like, well, if God's in town, if he's really here, he's not going to be hanging out with the sinners. 
Aren't you glad that Jesus came as light for your darkness? Let me help everybody. Jesus moves here by his spirit every Sunday. But the church is not the only place where God moves. Jesus, by his spirit, moves here. But thank God, he's also moving in bars. You say, he's visiting bars. Not... Jesus would never approve ever of drunkenness, of any sin. But how many of y'all are thankful that Jesus went after you in your darkness? He met you where you were. And you go back to the first century, Jesus eating with sinners. Yeah, you could say that until you're the sinner that he eats with. If you're the one that he, he heals and delivers, then you get excited. Jesus, thank you for dining with me. Thank you for coming to my part of town. Thank you for coming into my dark world to shine your light. But the right, some of the righteous, the righteous are like, Jesus would never do it. He did it. He didn't approve of what they did. But he showed up in their mess. He gave them truth to expose their darkness. He commissioned them to repent. And when they did, they got delivered from the law of sin and death. Just like he met you. God was moving in my heart years and years till over two decades ago when I was in the bar. Yes, in the bar, I remember God moving in my heart, convicting me before I ever stepped foot in a church. Oh, the very last place where you think God would be speaking was the very place he began to speak to me. Not just in the church, but in the world. Because oftentimes, the last place you think to look for God is often the very place where he chooses to reveal the fullness of who he is. The Jews missed him because they were looking for something else. Let me be even more specific. The very last place where many would think to look for greatness, greatness, was the very place where God chose to reveal it. So, the world, the world, the unbelieving world, has a measuring stick. And they have standards by which they judge greatness. Steps to greatness in their view. And it includes many things. Um, you're great, the world says, if you're popular. You're great if you have lots of money, if you look the part, can play the part. You're, you're great if you have lots of money and material things. Now, some of you are very godly, and you have many material things, and you have a lot of money. That's not wrong. But I know some godly people, because they're godly. They have money, but their money doesn't have them. Money is not evil. It's what you do with it. How many of y'all know money just empowers you to do what's in your heart? Think about if God gets a hold of your heart. Think about everything downstream from there. Think about what you can do to be a blessing. So I'm not saying money is wrong. I'm not saying prosperity is wrong. I'm saying from the worldly perspective that they place prosperity and things and all that at the top of the list. And, of course, there's no Jesus in it at all. And then they hold it out and say, Here, here's greatness. You want to be great in the world? Get your likes, get your loves, get your follows, get your material prosperity. Get, get, get it all, and once you get it all, then, then you will be great in the world's eyes. 
But then there's Jesus and his message, which is so antithetical to the world's. And Jesus came from heaven to the earth approximately 2,000 years ago with God's measuring rod in his hand, so to speak. (laughs) He said, what's that? Listen to me carefully. True greatness is not measured by the opinions of man, but by the cross of Jesus Christ. That's the measuring rod of greatness. Say, Pastor Scott, what do you mean? Well, if you think about the cross where Jesus died, you have two beams, don't you? The vertical beam, and then there's another one. That's the horizontal beam. At the cross, on the cross, we see in Scripture a man, the God-man Jesus, who was obedient to the will of God every second of his life. For starters, if you want to be great then be a man or a woman who gives your life to God every second of your life, who serves God, who loves God, who loves the Lord your God with all that you have. How many of y'all know Jesus was that example par excellence? Every second, every minute, every day, vertically, he lived for God. You want to be great in your generation? Love God, live for God. Vertically, go that way for God. Serve him. Because I don't care how much money you have, how many accolades you have, how many movies you produced, how many shows you have. Go to Hollywood. I'm not not worried about Hollywood. I'm not trying to conform to that. I'm looking to Jesus because in Jesus we see the true demonstration of what greatness consists of. And it's so different. It's so different than the world standard. Love for God. Right before Jesus died, he said in Greek, to telestai means it is is finished. In other words, Father, I've served you. I've lived for you. I've resisted the world and clung to your word. I've walked in obedience every day of my life, even though it hurts, even though I bled, even though I'm bleeding, I'm suffering, and I'm dying. Father, I live to please you. In the example, the example... It is finished. In other words, we have a complete picture of what it means to live in obedience to God in Jesus. Wow. Vertically. Everybody say vertically. But we also see at the cross the horizontal dimension of Jesus' love. Because, yes, Jesus lived and loved God, lived for God, loved him, yes, but that love translated in love for us. Loving God vertically, loving people horizontally, your neighbor as your, but not just that, huh? Loving your enemies. Jesus said in Matthew 22, 37 through 40, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And if you have anything left over, do what you want with it. That's not in the Bible. But he said, this is the first and greatest commandment. Love God. Everybody say vertical. Go vertical. That's greatness when you see a man or a woman going vertical. But he goes on to say in the second is like it. Love your neighbor as your. 
Look at what he says here. All the law and the prophets hang. What did Jesus do on the cross? He hung, he bled, he died, thus fulfilling love for God and love for people. How many of y'all know that's greatness? That's greatness. Many would say, no, greatness is the one who sits, seen in the one who sits on the throne in Rome. God said, no, no, no. Greatness is seen in the one who died on the cross for the sins of the world. Listen, the very last place where you would think to look for God was the very place where God demonstrated his power and his glory in Jesus Christ. And only those who were born again by the Spirit had the eyes to see it. Because the message of the cross is foolishness, isn't it? To the unbelieving world, I can stand up here. It doesn't matter how many veins come out, how passionate I am, how eloquent I wax on. If you're not born again by the Spirit, it's just white noise. It's true, isn't it? And I hope that's not true for you today, but that's just the, when people used to preach to me and share the gospel before, like God started really moving and opened up my heart. It was just white noise. And so we can blame the Jews. Like, what's wrong with y'all? Why didn't y'all see him for who he really was? God's asking us the same question. Do you understand who he is? He is, yes, the lion, the ferocious lion who fights your battles. And Jesus is coming back on a white horse with a double-edged sword coming out of his mouth to strike down the nations, mixing the metaphors here. He's the lion. He's ferocious. He's coming back in judgment. But the first time he came, he came as the meek and humble lamb. And on Palm Sunday, we celebrate the fact that the lamb who takes away the sin of the world came riding in on the donkey, and the goat is the lamb. And his whole life from beginning to end is great, great, great. He's greatly to be praised. He's greatly to be praised. There's nobody like Jesus. And he gives us this incredible example to follow. Because as we translate this to our level, when I see greatness, well, I see it. I see it. I see it in the men here, the husbands here. Those of you who serve your wife, that's great. Men, laying your lives down for your wives is great. You will never be recognized on the news or by anybody in the world, but I promise you, heaven sees you and applauds you for serving your bride. Oh, let me, let me, yeah, that's one clap. Let me, let me get a few more. True, no, it's okay. No courtesy claps. Listen, true greatness, in my opinion, is seen in the single mom who sacrifices for her children. Though the man walked out, the God man has become enough for you and you work your tail off. Single moms, are you here? Let me see your hand if you're a single mom. I don't want to embarrass anybody. Come on, single mamas, you are great. Maybe not in the world's eyes, but in Jesus' eyes, in my eyes, in our eyes as a family, you are great. And we honor you today. Come on, can we honor the single, single mamas? Yes. Greatness is seen in the ushers who ush. 
in the greeters who greet, in those that serve in our kids' ministry, taking care of kids. Come on, y'all, I got four, and the last thing I want to do when I come to church is see any more. Come on, give it up for all of our, our kids' workers. Y'all are great. All the servants here, you're great in God's eyes. Listen to me. Greatness is not seen from God's perspective in the macho man. Greatness is seen in the faithful man, in the faithful woman who loves God and lives to please him and him alone. And so I don't know about y'all, but I'm living, I'm living my life for, for this end in mind that when I get to heaven, I want Jesus and I want the Father to look at me and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Come on, can we live for the smile of heaven? Can we live to be great as God defines greatness? Come on, can we?